Hey everyone, Jose Nino here. Welcome back to El Nino Speaks. Today, I am joined by Chris Betts, a Dallas-based political analyst, veteran, and cybersecurity professional. Currently, Chris serves as Republicans for National Renewal's political director, and he is also the outreach coordinator for the True Texas Project. How's your day today, man? That's all fabulous. I'm saying, how's your day, man? Oh, great. I am absolutely looking forward to this talk because there is a lot to talk about in Texas politics these days. But before we start that, tell my audience about your political journey. Basically, how my political journey started. Um, when I lived in Kansas City before I moved to Texas, I got invited to a dinner with Ron Paul. Um, and it was actually at a Denny's and he got a grand slam. I remember this like it was yesterday. Uh, and I thought it was the coolest thing because Ron Paul was so humble and just a nice, genuine guy. It was very cool to see that. Uh, then they and I left for the military after that. And so after I got back, I moved to Texas within two weeks just because when I was here in Texas, I loved Texas so much. And then I just kind of like, I kind of like confrontation and I like debate. So like I was just kind of going on Facebook and debating people on political stuff. And then somebody from the college county, you know, Republicans actually reached out to me to come to a mixer, just to come hang out and meet people. And I was new to the area, so I was like, yeah, sure, why not? Let's go meet some like-minded fellows. And shortly after that, like, I got asked to run for the National Committee Man. So I was the National Committee Man for the Texas YRs uh, for, for a term. And they did, I did some fundraising on the National Board for YRs for a little bit. Uh, they kind of just filed, kept kind of got signed off to move from there. I ended up getting a job offer to work with Alan West, and I was his IT director for the NCPA for a little while. And then I just, you know, just threw... I mean, honestly, through like Vaz Drace and just through some, some, you know, Baber, I suppose, uh, I kind of kept getting out of the right places. You know, I ended up going to an Easter egg roll in the White House with Trump in 2019, got my little red Easter egg on my mantle at home. And um, it's just kind of been like a, a crazy ride, you know? And so then I got introduced to True Texas Project when there was just a singular, like there was just a Northeast Tarrant Tar- Tea Party formally. They switched over to True Texas Project. And then I approached Julie and Fred, who are the guys that through that that's the couple that kind of leads the organization. I was like, well, we help you build this around the state. And so we started going out there just building it. We're building it down the valley in Austin, Houston, Ellis County. We started building it. We got labeled as the Democrats label us the biggest threat to getting Democrats elected. One of my buddies who uh, is a consultant and the and the Democrat side sent me a picture of the Texas Democrat Party Slack, but it's a true Texas project is our biggest threat right now. Uh, and I was like, that's a badge of honor. I'll take that. Um, and, uh, so that was pretty cool. And then, uh, sort I met up with the R&R guys, Republicans for National Renewal, and just kind of hit it off. And then I get a phone call from Mark Evania, or it's like, dude, he goes, hey, congratulations. It's like, on what? Like, something I don't know about? He's like, no, you're going to be our new political director. And it's like, oh, <laughs> okay. And so it was, it was not even like a, uh, it wasn't even a question. They were like, no, we need, we need somebody who's going to be able to move in the evidence flows that can understand the legislation and. Uh, can show a kind of network and help us build the brand, which is what we've been doing pretty well so far. Um, and um, then, yeah, but it's just been it's been a really crazy ride. A lot of new stuffs come up, and right now this is kind of a season of of growth. There's a lot of things going on, which I'm excited to talk to you about. Okay, now this is interesting. You mentioned um, like Ron Paul because uh, myself, I am a quote unquote uh, Ron Paul baby as well in that I got into politics mostly because of Ron Paul. So I'm actually curious. How old are you, by the way? I am 35. I'll be 36 in September. I'm getting old, yeah. man. Oh, that makes sense. Because, yeah, in that uh, generation uh, cohort, because I'm 32, um, I've noticed, like, under 40, most people that have gotten into politics, like the Republican, really, like, hardcore conservative politics, are generally Ron Paul babies. That's, like, a trend I've picked up in my time in politics since, like, 2007, I've noticed. 
Yeah, no, like Brom Ball, he was just, he just had a strong message. I, I didn't think it was the message so much. It was that like he brought so much fire to the message. Like he was very, he was very passionate, right? Like I remember the first time I got introduced to him, I watched him where he was on some talk show. Um, this is back before he had like the silver fox hair, right? Now that he when he had like more color in his hair, he's still a doctor. I think he still does doctoral stuff, I'm not sure. But, and he, I saw him like, he's on some talk show. He starts lighting them up on facts and truth and just going in. And I was like, that guy is awesome. Like, yeah. And that's kind of what it just read Ron Paul. And then, um, the grassroots, uh, grassroots organization of Kansas, uh, I was in the Missouri side, but they invited me to come to a dinner and then, uh, we went to a dinner and kind of saw him, saw Ron Paul speak and it was really cool, a big union station up there. And, um, and then afterwards, I said, Hey, you want to come with us for a good dinner? And that's where I got to go have Denny's with Ron Paul and see the how, like, how much of a mask there was. And Ron Paul was just genuine through and through. I could say the same thing about some other people I've met, like Al West. Is ten times better a person than he ever is on TV. Fantastic about TV, but like when you when you see some of these people, like in politics especially, a lot of them have a mask on. They like, place a front, and as soon as they leave that that podium, they're a whole different person. But Ron Paul was just like genuine, through and through. Really, like gave me a fire to go serve and, and you know and go kind of put my put my word out there so I could do to help help advance the cause. You know, so he really got me inspired to do a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, definitely. It is like refreshing to see a politician with like passion because his ideas are definitely on the libertarian Republican side. And I've um, interacted with a pretty good deal of libertarians before, and a lot of them don't have that it factor that Ron Paul had. But that's like a totally different like subject. Now let's get into like some of like the issues about like Texas politics, based on your work with the True Texas Project and R and R. What are the main issues that you're currently focused on in Texas politics? Yeah, so some of the big things we're focused on, uh, True Texas Project is an activist organization, so we don't really push candidates so hard, but we train activists. So that's our big thing there. And so right now, Austin, uh, the legislature in Texas is a part-time legislature. So we have a lot of our team out there in Austin. I'm trying to advance bills. Right now they're fighting like, uh, they're fighting for the uh, transgender ban for women's sports. So that way, like, could protect, we actually protect real women and their background and let them actually have fair competition for what they've been working for instead of stealing it by having uh, loser males decide to drop out and uh, go and dominate women's sports. You know, So we're trying to work on that band right now. Uh, there's other things like property taxes we're trying to push through because Texas is actually like one of the highest property tax states in the country. Uh, like if you can believe it, like Texas property tax is twice that of California. I'm just so oh, there, so it's, yes. not, it's, not, it's, it's not a flat, it's not a flat workout, but at the end of the day, like we still have like increasing taxes. And, and the big thing that I always say, I'm not the biggest Greg Abbott fan. Uh, I say Greg Abbott's been a big fan of turning Texas into taxes. He's been switching the vowels, you know. But I think that a lot of the stuff in Texas is that's really scary is the people think Texas is the red bastion right now, legislatively. Texas is pretty blue. Like we're number 30 on the conservative chart, which means we're, we're in the bottom half of conservative states and it's kind of, it's not trending upwards at all. It just keeps getting left more and more left. And it's not because the Democrats are winning. It's because we have rhinos that are subverting and working their ways to kind of go after getting more money, getting paychecks and doing all this kind of crazy stuff. Like a few years ago, all of our legislators were popping. I think this is three years ago. We're talking about, oh, we've got the Chinese delegation coming to Austin to visit all of us. And then we saw a swift seat decline in conservative policy start moving out. And it was kind of a, uh, a very unfortunate thing because Texas should be the bastion, right? Texas should be on the forefront of conservative policy. Texas has the ability and the power to do that. Uh, and be a, a forefront of conservative ideals to show people how good it and actually it is. But the unfortunate thing is that lobbyists and not even lobbyists, but just people that have kind of come in to subvert the will and people that are just looking for cash, cash out instead of fighting for the cause or kind of 
going in there and subverting from their own from their own pocketbook. That's kind of it's very unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah, I can attest to the property taxes front because my parents were effectively forced out of their house uh, due to property taxes in the DFW area, which is uh, like risen astronomically. I mean, most of I would say most, especially like most suburbs in the major Texas cities have seen this like universal trend. And it's actually pretty true that I've noticed over the years of being in Texas politics that a good deal of conservative organizations, especially like the establishment conservative organizations, have fallen asleep at the wheel with regards to the broader bureaucracy and other elected positions at the local level, which the left has completely taken over. And you could see this like in otherwise like ostensibly red counties where the school districts are firmly in the hands of like the left. And that's where like the real power is wielded. And if you look at political history, it's not necessarily having an absolute majority what can dictate the terms of like a political debate and political outcomes. It's oftentimes very restless, organized minorities that will uh, win out and determine the course of like a country's politics. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, it's it's not about winning all the it's not about winning all the battles. Sometimes it's about focusing on winning the war, right? And so. Some of these key things, like what they're doing, they take over these school boards, kids, when they take over our schools, our classrooms, they're able to indoctrinate kids and tell them these things are okay. That's not a bad thing. Like, that's a very normal thing when it's actually very not, right? As we're seeing with like family, family age drag shows, like we've seen teachers say, oh, that's very normal. Like, there's nothing wrong with that, which like you have to ask yourself, why, why do these drag show people want to perform in front of children? Like, you have to think about that it's not well, it's not real. And they talked about this kind of stuff five years ago. Well, it's a slippery slope, but we'll never get there. And we're right there, right on top of it, right? And it's, you have to, we have to bite for the classroom, we have to bite for the school boards, but we have to make sure there are people who are passionate enough to go and do the work day in and day out because the left is, as you know, is utterly relentless in their pursuit of conquest. They want to shut us down every step of the way, no matter what it is. Oh, yeah. And it's not even about them winning for what they believe. I think I think a lot of their stuff is what they believe, and that's, that's okay, I suppose. But a lot of it is just in opposition to what we're doing. So I could go out there and say, I like chocolate ice cream, and they're going to come out swinging and say, no, vanilla ice cream is way better. You know, they just want to off- be opposition. Yeah. Regardless, and not really want to slow down or be back. Yeah. So it's it's kind of a fight of their of their passion and what they believe is their promise, and it's kind of it just makes things a little bit more difficult. You know, uh, it makes things like like we need the conservatives to get on board and fight in these key places and fight for these key ideals. Oh, yeah. And you don't need, like you said, it's a tireless, irate minority to get that stuff done. We don't need a million people doing it. We you know fifty, a hundred, five thousand, whatever that number looks like. To just be consistent on pushing the agenda, because that's exactly what the left does, and we've seen they win. They win in those areas because they are they are relentless, they are unwavering, and they are willing to go put the work in nonstop. We need to make sure conservatives do the same thing. I think that we do have most conservatives. Like we're trying to align them and build them out through Texas projects or Republicans for now through renewal. But it's you know our people have jobs, so <laughs> it's one of those things too. You know, so our people have full time jobs. Conservatives are working, and the big yeah. thing is. As well, it's like conservatives kind of just want to be left alone while the left ones go take things back, right? They want to go take over, take over and they want to yeah, control everything. Things. So, yeah. So if, if we, if we, if we're sitting there trying to be in the middle of a fight where we're just trying to be left alone, but they want to take everything, they're going to win every time. So what we have to make sure we're pushing is we have to go take back lost space and be on the offense and then not sitting back on the defense. Oh yeah. I've long said like the left is fully centered on just like domination, like every aspect of our lives. They just want to like dominate it and they ultimately have to be put in their place through like political action. And that like, that's just like the way this cookie crumbles and the quicker people realize that 
the quicker we can actually restore some sanity in this otherwise like clown world polity that's unfolding before our eyes. Now, I want to segue into this issue because I'm really big into it. It's like immigration. I've been covering this issue for a while and I um, not only came from like a Ron Paul background, but also like Pat Buchanan was one of like my inspirations. And that's been one of the key issues that I've focused on. And I'm actually an immigrant myself, but I've been um, in favor of like a full-blown immigration restriction, both like legal and against illegal immigration for a while. And I have been pretty uh, disappointed with the GOP because I already know what the Democrat Party is all about when it comes to immigration. This is the party of the great replacement of electing a new people to secure democratic hegemony and also to like placate their big business donors, which are also in the Republican Party. What ways have the organizations that you work for tackled the immigration question these days? Yeah. Um, so the big thing we're trying to do is, is kind of expose for the hypocrisy with immigration. Like, for example, Greg Abbott put a gag order on the Na- Texas National Guard when he went to the border. So they were unallowed to say anything. Fortunately, so the National Guard came out and said something anyway. So there's articles on military.com where they say Greg Abbott's using his peons and saying these things are happening, but, are, are, but our orders are entirely separate. Like, right now, the Texas National Guard and even any troops that, you know, Biden's talking about saying 1,500 troops, but they're going to do, basically do the exact same thing, just catch and release. So, hey, catch you, like, identify them, let them know and they release them back. And, but wow, they just go up to space, go along the border a few miles, they just cross the border anyway, right? Uh, and so, like, we have to make sure that what we're doing is actual promising causes to, to kind of curb illegal immigration. I think I, I'm a big fan of the idea of kind of going back to where America used to be with immigration. Like, we take the best and brightest, and then after we get the best advice in our houses in order, then we can start taking in more people. But right now, I kind of agree with you on like, like some more strict sanctions, maybe some maybe moratorium for a little bit just to make sure we can get our own health order. Because right now, I mean, look at our healthcare costs are now out there for, un, for unpaid healthcare. Look at our, our education system being burdened left and right. Look at all of our systems that are being just like, but then we cannot handle this ingest of immigration. And those people like, I mean, but I'll tell you right now, like, if you try to do an iPhone a little bit, like, if I was in their shoes, I'd be trying to get here as fast as I could, too, because, I mean, the cartels dominate them. They dominate everything. If you speak out against them, you know, you're going to die. You know, they're going to come after you. And so, I mean, I get I get there plenty, but, um, like, there's a reason on the airplane. It's like, you put your mask on first. It's because if you can't, if you can't take care of yourself, then you can't probably take care of anybody else. So we need to make sure that our house is ordered first and foremost before we start trying to save the rest of the world, right? And uh, if we do really want to help these countries, if we do want to help people that are immigrating here illegally or like that, like the best thing we can do is make sure that we are the shining light on the hill that we're supposed to be and give a proper way to do it, a proper process and a proper policy to make sure that people are coming in the right way. So they're able to stay here the right way. So they're able to make sure they're actually benefiting the American dream, the American ideal, benefiting our economy. Uh, I think that's the bigger phase. We need to make sure there's not a massive financial drain. If people are coming in the right way with strong, proper policy, I think it ends up being a boon to be a very economy and not so much of a drag or a slowdown well. Yeah, well, yeah, when you look at like history, uh, immigration in like US history, it comes in waves and it pauses like naturally or legislatively. Like you had like the moratoriums of like the 1920s that lasted until the 1960s, but like the post-1960 five act like immigration policies, like which have been in effect for like now almost 70 years, I've just been like insane. It's creating, um, in my opinion, a Democrat's electoral wet dream, and it's causing all sorts of destabilization because of just the harsh reality is multicultural polities are going to be 
inherently unstable. And the only way that you can stabilize that is if you literally change the government to like a more authoritarian model, like say like, for example, like Singapore or whatever. And that's like one reason why I've long called for a moratorium and a much like saner climate when we get our house in order, a case can be made for bringing in like skilled migrants and all of that. But I think that we've had more than our fair share of both like mass illegal and legal immigration. Yeah, going back to um, the Republican Party, like Texas, how would you rate the way um, that it has tackled um, immigration in the last five years? Yeah, are you talking about the party or the legislature? Yeah, actually, it's a good distinction. There is a considerable disconnect these days. Um, The legislature. Yeah, the legislature, I don't think that they actually have any interest in actually blocking things. Like, if you saw Greg Abbott, he talked about, we're going to build a wall here, and then we're going to, Texas is going to build our own wall. They put up, what is it, like a mile and a quarter of wall, and then they haven't touched it since, right? It was just a media projection. They're just trying to make sure that they're looking, they, they just want to do it for optics instead of doing it to do the right things. You know? And I think the bigger issue is that uh, we've seen, you know, people down on the border, like Paul Politico's down on the border, like, um, we had that politician a couple of years ago. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he got found with like envelopes full of cocaine as he was coming back over the border. Nothing happened to him. Poncho Navarro's was his name. Yeah, yeah, I was say Poncho. Yeah, that guy. That guy is a yeah. piece of work. And I mean, he, he, he had been suspected and, you know, alleged uh, like cartel involvement and stuff like that. But the fact is, is that nothing happened to the guy. He basically got to walk off scot free because there was some connections there. There's some protections there, which is not, you know, if you were me did that, we'd be in jail for a while. But you know, these guys are trying to push these different kind of ideals and they're they're protecting their own. And that's what it's that's what beyond was that's been more of what it's become protecting their own as opposed to like serving the people. Um, I think that's what a big immigration thing is too. I know there's some people that are even Republicans are for more immigration in the United States, uh, just because there's there's business there to be made, right? But oh, we time. have to work on like having proper business and, and business that go ahead and like benefits the American people as a whole and doesn't put a drain on here. But as far as the GOP, as far as like the legislature in Texas, I think that they're trying to dance around the issue and not really answer it. I mean, if they were really trying to answer it, Greg Abbott's first promise when he left the AG's office to run for governor, he was going to secure the border. We've seen no such act, right? We've seen nothing but him say one thing and then anything getting done has been the entire opposite. You know, it's not, he has actually put the effort to basically you need this campaign promise, right? So, I mean, I, I've asked people all the time, you've been involved in the scene, like, so tell me a promise that Greg Abbott kept. Like, even when he was in his debate with Beto, he promised to fix property taxes and get rid of school and no property tax. And it's not even on the docket during this legislature. And if you know anything about Texas politics, the governor runs with an iron fist. And so whatever he wants passed will pass, but he doesn't want it to get passed, right? So they're they're literally putting out messages and optics to tell people they're one thing for votes. But when it comes down to getting the job done and when the, when the, where the rubber meets the road, nothing's actually happening, which is very, very uh, unfortunate. That is disconcerting. And it kind of makes me lose a little bit of faith in Texas to where we're going, you know? Oh, legislative gaslighting, you gotta hate it. And I am very well acquainted with that based on my experience working with um, National Association for Gun Rights like, and working in various legislatures, including Texas. Funny enough, Texas had finally caught up <laughs> to most other red states with regards to the passage of constitutional carry in 2021. Do you think that on Second Amendment issues that Texas is actually moving forward or is it still lagging behind a lot of other states? Uh, I think Texas is lagging behind on a lot of different things, right? Like we've we've lost ranking in the gun freedoms rankings, uh, like Texas gun rights, you know, Chris McNutt, fantastic mm-hmm. organization over there do a lot yeah. of really great work, just like the National Association Old for Gun Rights, like you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic guy. guys. They, they really work really hard. You have a lot of different things. 
where Texas is just like, like I said, we fell from 22 on the conservative ranking to number 30. Like that's an eight point drop over the last couple of years. You know, um, it's, it, you got to think about that. Like that everybody looks at Texas as this red bastion, which is why we had that surge from everywhere else in the country to come to Texas as jobs because of all the other stuff. But the fact is, it is like, it's not the people that are moving here that are changing these conservative rankings. It is our legislators. Like we actually grew majority in Texas during in our legislative set, during our legislative, uh, during the elections. Um, but we still went farther down the chart. And if you look at the other metrics, like that, people are saying that they've kind of worried about Californians coming to Texas. But if you also look at the numbers, people that are moving here are voting red, like majority, like an overwhelming majority. Like that's what saved Ted Cruz versus Beto was the people that moved here. Native Texans didn't really vote for Ted Cruz overall. Um, there's the people that moved here from California, from New York, from Florida, from wherever. They're the ones who saved Ted Cruz in his seat, you know? So um, that's the scary thing is that like the people here have a very strong will and a need and a desire for conservative policy that's strong and benefits them. Now, the legislature is 100 percent just failing them. Yeah, this trend you see, too, in Florida with a lot of like northeastern um, conservatives just moving down there. I'd say if there's anything that's moving, that's actually changing red states, it's these woke mega corporations that. Republicans like Chamber of Commerce, Republicans slobber all over and try to attract to their states. They're actually changing it more so than like voters because the corporations uh, these days exert crazy amounts of power. I'd say like they're like the equivalent of like migration shift of like a million voters or more in terms of like public policy. So we can like dispense with the idea that um, these um, refugees from blue states are doing that. If anything, it's these mega corporations that are doing that, which the Republican Party has enabled, by the way, because they are completely on Chamber of Commerce time. Yeah, the percent, man, it's, the, it's like census corporations that are, that are following and building all that stuff. They're kind of bringing those people in and that are actually doing most of the damage, right? So yeah, I think it's like, Texas is not as such a strong bastion as we've all hoped for. Uh, and just getting weaker and weaker by the day, which is unfortunate. And that's why I'm kind of glad we have a part-time legislature because as soon as the legislation happens, like it's just like as soon as the legislature's in session, it's going to kind of see even more diminished work for, for the conservative agenda, which the crawl America did, right? So, and we just see that it, it's kind of just falls apart. That's, it's just, it's very frustrating when you just want, when you just want to grow up in the America that you grew up in, you want your kids to see that same place. And Texas is kind of like leading the charge on the fastest way to sink a shit, you know? So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Texas is lucky by virtue of the fact that it has a part time legislature that meets every other week, because if this was like a full time legislature that met met like every year, we'd be talking about a different political orientation of the state, to be honest, because <laughs> that would give the like Democrats and many of their allies in the Republican Party more time to transform the state in a really bad direction. But we should just count our blessings in that respect. But we still have a lot to work to do, obviously. Yeah, I've, I've um, noticed this trend in general that political corruption is a bipartisan trend. It's not just Democrats that engage in this type of shenanigans. And Republicans are just as culpable pulling it off. Which Republicans in particular, um, in terms of like elected officials like in the House and the Senate, would you say are the biggest enablers of like this politics as usual culture in Austin? Oh, it is easy, number one. I mean, a date fail in the Speaker of the House in Texas is the guy who's hardcore pushing leftist ideals. Like, he's literally skipped out on fundraisers. So we're going to build build campaigns for conservatives. 
that he was invited to speak at, that he was going to get money to come speak at, to go instead bail that and go support and augment Democrats, right? Like we've seen that in, in Dave Phelan as the Speaker of the House, so he gets to kind of dictate some of the, some of the things that move in the House. And it's a really rough bill. And so uh, you have the opposition and Dan Patrick, where Dan Patrick is more conservative than Dave Phelan, like might have been, they're pushing their legislation to get the job done. Um, but yeah, like when you have the House sitting there, that they're saying, oh, it's bipartisan. It's like, well, we solved the majority. We can only throw anything that we want us to right now. And you guys are simply trying to sit there and play games. Like Dave Phelan is appointing Democrats to important committee seats. You know, like um, Moody, who is the representative that's Democrat, literally said that Republicans are like a cancer and they're trying, they're all racist and they're all, all this other stuff. And so Dave Phelan chooses to appoint him to the head of a committee, right? Like, why would you be doing that? Why are you trying to, why are you giving any form of like political, you know, quote unquote enemy? Any kind of a, a stance or a stand to do that. It's always because of tradition. And it's like, well, just because there's tradition doesn't necessarily mean that's a good idea to do. Like, if it ain't broke, don't think that isn't necessarily the best idea for politics. Like, situation stands that the people and your constituents are pushing for conservative legislation to build this ideal. And and because they, they're coming here because they believe in something that Texas isn't anymore, right? Like 20 years ago, 10 years ago, Texas would have been an entirely different animal than it is today. And we're talking about with like us being one thing with a part time legislature. Like, if we had a full time legislature, we'd be worse off in California right now with our current representatives, I believe. You know, we have a few in the House that are good. Uh, my favorite one is Nate Chatsline. He's fantastic. The guy is fearless. Uh, he is awesome. He's just through and through like a good, solid patriot. He loves the people. Like, he's, he's in there to do his job for the cause, but enough for the path, which will make it very much admire. But you have, like, I mean, you've got Dave Bailon, you've got just any number of people. Like, even Jeff Leach. Jeff Leach is in the House. He's up here in Plano where I'm at. Oh, that guy's horrible. Like, totally went downhill. Well, if you don't know, this is some inside baseball. It's kind of been told from some of the teams, but he actually worked to kill the funding for Ken Paxton to sue Joe Biden over unconstitutional mandates. What Republican is going to stop another Republican from going and suing Joe Biden? Like, that's pretty terrible, you know? Like, that's like literally dating the far left and coming into Texas, right? Like, he should have been one of the first people to sign on to augment that to build that ideal. And, and support that. So that way we could, you know, take a stand against the left for unconstitutional mandates. You know, like Tim Paxton has the full ability and capability and intelligence to go handle that fight and win that fight. But Jeff Leach led the charge to build a funding there. And it's just, you know, there's a lot of really bad conservative or involved really bad Republicans, I wouldn't call them conservatives, that are in the Texas House or kind of diminishing the good work that could be done. Um, that's the that's the unfortunate thing is the people that are supposed to be your allies are sometimes your worst enemies inside of politics in Texas. Oh, yeah. This is one reason why I tell people complacency is the cousin of death in politics and do not trust a politician just because they have an R beside their name. You have to look at the voting record and their behavior. Do not just look at the rhetoric, people, because you will get hoodwinked and betrayed with the quickness if you let these people go about their usual ways. A hundred percent. Yeah. The other thing too is like check the voting record, but also have contextual checking. Like if you just look at their vote, oh, they voted Republican every time on their on their actual voting record when they vote, that's not enough. You need to see like, cool, did they vote for things when they were in office, the things that I support? Did they did they back up? Did they support, you know, like protecting women's sports? Did they support lower taxes? Did they support more freedom? Did they support gun rights? Did they support the First Amendment? Did they support what Texans really want? And the unfortunate thing is I think you go look at the votes. It'll, it'll shock you more than you think. You're silver Republicans in Texas or Democrats in the North. It's pretty bad. Oh, yeah. And this is even more inside baseball, too. Having done uh, federal, like, legislative affairs, you'll see, like, some Republicans vote for, like, pro-gun legislation when a Democrat occupies the presidency and, like, Democrats control the Senate when Republicans control the House. And that legislation is not going to move anywhere. And they'll say, like, they're pro-gun. But whenever they have, like, a trifecta, like— 
they control every branch of the government and pro-gun legislation comes forward. They do nothing. They like sometimes even kill the bill behind the scenes. So yes, there's a very contextual aspect to voting because it's easy to vote when you're like the minority opposition. But when you're in power and you don't do anything or you kill stuff behind the scenes, like you're basically dead weight, if not like actively like hostile towards our cause. Right. They're, they're focused on job security and saying that they have a bunch I fought for this in Joe Biden's office. Well, did you fight for it when Trump was in office or did you fight for it when we had Republicans in charge? Uh, but that's the big thing is, you know, uh, I mean, you've got people like like these committees, you know, they just pushed last legislative season in Texas or session, sorry, last legislative session in Texas to a not alive but caliber committee folks because they knew they were voting so poorly they would have no oversight. So you have people like Jared Patterson, who's Frisco rep, is just more of a Jeff Leach who has killed more conservative legislation in Calder's committee than any Democrat would ever dream of doing. Like the guy has murdered conservative values across the board um, in Calder's. And the reason he does this is because, you know, it's both the anonymous, but, you know, R and R we have off, we have people that just fuck every, uh, in every uh, congressional office. And we have a lot of people who are in offices in Austin. And so we get intel on this stuff left and right. Like, oh, they're pushing for this. They're going to shut this down. They're going to kill this in Calder's or they're going to sit it back to a different committee or, they're going to stagnate it, install it, and then they're going to sit there and complain. Oh, we didn't have enough time. When they have plenty of time to do it, and they just want to sit there and play these games and give all these excuses. Like sometimes you just got to go and be a man and go handle the job and get it done and stop worrying about minutia because we got to get past this idea of doing it for job security and doing it more for the cons, right? Like, I mean, I think you and I are on the same page there. Like, you've got to get in there and start pushing for these real conservative ideals and fighting for it, regardless of who's in charge, fighting for it on the bill. There's some strategy there, of course. Like, we want to make sure, like, if you have a bill you really want to push, that's a conservative bill, you want to push it under Republican leadership, of course. But um, when your Republicans are as bad as they are in Austin, you really don't have any way to really move things because they're actively sitting there and augmenting the Democrats and supporting the Democrats instead of, you know, pushing for conservative legislation, which is the unfortunate of the environment scenario. Yeah, you have to have the right faction of Republicans in power to really get things done. That's like the more like nuanced way of viewing things because if you just have a bunch of co- uh, Chamber of Commerce, Conservatism Inc., or like neoconservative Republicans, you're just going to get like more of the same, if not like actually like even worse policies than before. So people do have to, um, they will have to do their research and gravitate towards organizations that actually properly vet candidates and incumbents that's going to take some work but this work on the back end will save you a ton of headache once the rubber meets the road during the legislative session so that, that's something they always keep in mind when you dive into the political realm yeah i mean i think the other thing too is that some of these politicians are scared i think um i, I do try to take this into account when i criticize or like try to like talk to these politicians they're scared because they don't know if this conservative agenda is popular but what people like good me see when we're in the trench we're out there voting behind it's like the America First agenda is wildly popular. But like anytime you do that, like we've seen this multiple times. Like when Beth Van Dyne ran for Congress, like Beth Van Dyne's a good friend of mine. Like we don't always agree on all of our policy, but she's always been genuine with me. She always tells me what she believes. She's always truthful with what she believes, which is why I never second more needed. So she, if you tell me we're going to disagree, you tell me why you disagree. Like we can leave it there. But a lot of these politicians will slide you. And so Beth has to do that. But when she was running for Congress, I told Beth, I was like, go farther to the right. She's like, you said the polls, the polls don't say that that's going to work. It's like, I promise you it'll work. She moved a little bit to the right on some of the issues, and she saw a lot of success. I think if you start getting America first identities and just very conservative policy out there, like you're going to see a wild growth in conservatives getting out there and engaged. 
And they're saying that Democrats are voting more than, than Republicans are. I've heard that message a million times too. The fact is the Democrats are not voting more. They are voting more than Republicans because Republicans are exiting the system because they don't feel like their needs and their requests are being answered at all. Uh, I mean, in Texas, right? You said we have to give out like all of our taxes here in Texas. In Texas, if you made any kind of decent money, like that anything over 80 grand, you're pretty much out of pocket by the time you spend a dollar, about 50%, right? You got to think about like, yeah, you know, it's like on the full roof. That's not a tax. It's an expense, right? You can always go a different route. You get expedited that way. We have sales tax here. We have property tax through the roof. You have so all these massive amounts of taxes just going ahead and just bleeding Texans dry. Well, Greg Abbott's giving companies that are seeking to subvert conservative legislation tax breaks across the board. Like, look at Toyota that came here. Toyota came here with no property tax deal for 10 years. And part of the deal was they had to hire Texans. Guess what? They took the deal. Didn't hire Texans, they brought in older people and they ignored the original deal. They had no backlash and they kept their 10 year property tax sale deal. And it's like, I think that the people, the, the average workers, the people that are out here like grinding and trying to hustle and make sure their bills are paid, keep a roof over their head, they should be the one getting the tax breaks. Not these billion dollar corporations. They should be making sure we're benefiting less here at all. Because I mean, I grew up very humble. Like I've been homeless before. Like I've been down that route. And all I can think about is right now, if we were growing up with how my mom raises and how much she worked for us, like there's no way we would have had a house. There's no way we'd have a roof over our head. There's just no way. Like students were being breathed off sometimes and things just fall apart. And sometimes it's hard. We had to go shut with driveways sometimes, mow laws, make sure the electricity stayed on. But under the current Texas economy, even if you did all that stuff, even if, even if me and my brothers went and worked at everything and busted our butts to go make sure the bills were paid, it would still not really be anywhere near enough to make sure that you could get through the day by day. So um, they're actually, this legislation is actually hurting the people that are working the hardest to try to make, make a living in the best ways possible. Yeah, 100% agreed on all fronts. And yeah, before we end, in my time um, doing grassroots lobbying, I've picked up on several like lessons about how politicians ultimately respond to external pressure placed on them. Even like the worst politicians, like they still don't want to feel certain forms of political pain, whether it's like, them losing an election or getting like a primary challenger or being subjected to like a pretty coordinated social media campaign that exposes their dirty laundry. They generally don't like that. And it's very effective in changing the political behavior of a given legislature. And what ways do the organizations that you work for put pressure on the political class in Austin? Yeah, well, we work with a variety of different groups to pop out different media sources. There's great websites out there um, that you can go look at. Like Big League Politics is somebody that we, we've interacted with a couple of times. But the best ways to do that is to make them feel more uncomfortable for making the wrong decisions. And then the other side makes them comfortable for making those decisions. So you have to be loud in their face and be willing to have the conversation. Then be willing to, like, I don't know once they get in their face, but you have to be willing to make them feel very uncomfortable doing the wrong things. Because you have to realize at the end of the day... All these politicians, and most of us scientists too, not going to lie, have egos about what we do. We, we're very, like, like that. We like to make sure that our stuff is getting done. We like all these things. Like, it, it's good for us to be recognized and feel like we're getting the right thing done. But with these politicians, when they start, you know, pushing all these legislation, they feel like they're, you know, like Mr. Popular. They have these egos. They have this, they want to be the cool guy in the block. They want to go tell their family, I'm a legislator. But what you need to do, and the best ways to work for that is to make them feel uncomfortable, make them feel vulnerable, because if you can swing at that ego with the accent trip that they can't spit out, uh, that, that, they can't, that they can't contest, that's the easiest and best way to go do things. The other problem with that too, though, is that some people come out there with stuff that's outlandish and uh, just non-true, or just fully false all around. They start pushing a stack, which ruins credibility of other reasons that are actually pushing negative narratives. Because if we push out truth more often than we push out like, 
things that didn't make any sense, it'd be a lot easier for us to go ahead and hold people accountable. Because when somebody says, oh, this person was doing this and there's no actual truth or evidence, they just saw, you know, they just saw something and they misconstrued the evidence to make it because they had a personal vendetta. Like that actually helps that incumbent stay in that seat because they can just pass it off as lies, which is something crazy, but something after it actually gives them a bigger boom. Because in Texas, I think in most states, the bigger thing too is it's really hard to get rid of an incumbent. So you have to have almost a surgical plan to go in there and kind of dissect their dissect their legislative session, that dissect what they've been doing, dissect what they've been working on, keep an eye on you know, like like that's trying to get into, into the weeds, but like that's how people got rid of Van Sater, the congressman in Texas. Like his legislation wasn't very America first. He was very much middle of the road, and he actually helped Colin Allred stay in the seat against Genevieve Collins. And I, I know some of Van's family, and they're really nice people, but lawyers only got rid of Van because they found that he was, ha- he was having an affair, you know, leaked everywhere on the internet. So ended up leaving the political scene after that just because there was so much pressure and there was so much mess that was going on that was kind of evading them or that was like putting it on so he, we actually made him feel more uncomfortable doing the wrong things than he was actually getting kudos for doing some of the right things so it actually made change happen so now Keith Salt has been off and Keith Salt is a much further right legislator than, than Van Taylor was than Mary Van Officially so the original Liberty 18 uh, he went out there and backed up conservatives across the board and make sure we have the right rules and congressional session and all these different things. So he's actually doing a lot of the right work. And so if you have that ability to go and hold politicians accountable, speak truth, um, have the proper identity and build out the right ideas and have a strong message, you can actually get rid of that person, whoever it is, and then bring in somebody who's actually going to do really much more effective work to build the cause of what you're building at. Because if you don't do that, then all you're going to do, any kind of missed shots or any kind of things that you're falling short of or you don't have all the facts stuff is only going to benefit the incumbent because they can spin that narrative. And that's what they're all the best at. They don't have to spin a narrative bar none more than anybody else. You know, that's what they've been good at. That's how they got in office. And that's the name of the game. So we have to make sure you're coming with a point surgically, not like a shotgun, but you need a scalpel to make sure that the information is proper, it's true, and you're able to kind of take the offensive there to make it the right ways. Yep, agreed on all fronts. Like uh, people will have to like put in a lot of work, and they're gonna have to ruffle feathers because in politics you can't be complacent and always respect like certain sacred cows. Some ultimately have to be proverbially and metaphorically slaughtered, but you have to be willing to rise up to the status quo and shake things up if you want to make any type of like legitimate political like difference in terms of policy. Well, Chris, I really enjoyed this conversation. Where can my listeners keep up with your latest work? Um, you can find us. You can go to rnr.gop. That's shortcut to our Republicans for National Rule page. You can find out on truetexasproject.com for some of the work to mobile Texas legislature things. Like RNR is kind of taking the same model to Texas Project has and they do it nationally. Or you can follow me on Twitter at, at McFreedom1836. Or you can find me on Instagram at McFreedom1776. Uh, I have the McFreedom name. It's really embarrassing. So you can laugh at me if you want. But I had to kind of take some work, you know, so uh, no, in my full time. Don't blame so, me. But yeah. Yep. Awesome, man. And like always, my dear listeners, thank you for tuning in. And with that, El Nino has spoken.